This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, everyone. Before we get started, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, We'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So, whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports podcasting experience. Uh, Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Again, that is bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box for this episode to find more, but that is bwhustle.com slash join. Join Chase Thomas pod the Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, we're back on a Tuesday edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. I am still the aforementioned Chase Thomas, and I am joined as I am every Tuesday by the esteemed John Taylor up there in Manhattan, New York. Uh, Fangraphs.com. John, good afternoon, sir. How are you? Doing all right. How about yourself? I am. I am good. Um, a lot of great Fisher content. Um, I think I've decided that uh, the lady friends, dog and Fisher would uh, would have fun together. They they kind of look alike. No, I hope so. I mean, he doesn't always they don't always like other dogs. So I mean, it's 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 always good to see him get along with another dog. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, that that sounds. Uh, I'm I'm always down for Fisher to meet dogs. Is he better with male or female dogs? I don't really think it makes a difference, honestly. Hmm. Interesting, because my yeah, dog growing up definitely it. cared about which one. He he was never he might it was not a good look for for old Bandit who turned eighteen last week. Um, always wow. got along better with uh, female dogs than he did uh, male dogs. I don't know why. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know if it was a territorial thing or or what, but that is up. But yeah, he turned eighteen last week. Still, still kicking, still kicking. It's impressive. It is impressive and impressive. Um, 
John, what uh, what have you found yourself reading in, since we last talked? What are what have you been diving into of late? What have I been? Not a whole lot, honestly. Uh, just really waiting for the winter to end so we can all hopefully get back outside again. We're and nearing the end. Well, what's good about where you are, John, is that there's no political strife and there's no um, people in office making waves at the moment. So that yeah, no, no scandals, no nothing like that. Yeah, so things are good. Things are good. Um, things are great. <laughs> I am struggling to get through um, uh, Boys Among Men because it's such a slow read. There's no way to. I don't know if you're like this, John, but do you? Do you find yourself taking significantly longer to read nonfiction than fiction books? Like I can breeze through a fiction book in one night, but nonfiction because you're retaining so much more information that it takes significantly longer for me to get through these books. And it's like, a, I think it's over 300 pages, but it's really good. It's by Abrams. I'm not sure if you've read it yet, but it, uh, it's really fascinating. But each chapter is so inundated with so much stuff that I'm just, I am retaining, so I naturally go slower um, from line to line. Do you find yourself doing that, John? Yeah, I find that fiction usually goes a little faster. I imagine it's just because, you know, it's it's, it's just more built in terms, of a, in terms of being a story that kind of keeps you engaged as opposed to nonfiction, which is, of course, forced to, uh, for you know, it has to respect the facts and what actually happened, so... That can be a little more, it can be a little drier sometimes, but yeah, I think that's been the case for me too. Okay. Um, well, there's some news items that uh, we need to talk about, John, because baseball season, spring training's going on. Um, still a lot of free agents. Jackie Bradley Jr., I guess, is just never getting signed. Um, Brian Dozier signed a suspiciously long extension with the Kansas City Royals. John, what do you make of that signing? Uh, well, uh, Hunter Dozier. Or Hunter Dozier, Dozier, excuse me. Why did I say Brian Dozier? Yes. That's, uh, well, Brian Dozier recently retired, so he's been in the news, too. Yes. Uh, Too many Dozier's, in my opinion. Well, now there's now there's one less Dozier, so... <laughs> um, I I think it's fine for Kansas City. I look at it like... Obviously, he's not the same player. He's not as valuable, but I kind of look at it like the Whit Merrifield extension, where they take a guy in Dozier who was probably never going to make big money on a long-term deal anyway and sign him to a very reasonable... Especially for them, I think that it basically averages out to about six or seven million a year, um, depending on I, I think depending on the there's a fifth year option too that I think depending on whether or not you factor that in. So it's it's small money. I think the question for the Royals is what what do they kind of do with Dozier going forward? Because defensively, he's not really a great third baseman. He's a better bet in a corner outfield spot or at first base or at DH, and that's not really open right now because they have. They have Jorge Soler. They traded for Andrew Benintendi. They signed Carlos Santana. Uh, you know, there, there's not really that room for that right now. But I do think it's a it's a decent bet on a guy who was a very good hitter two years ago. Had down 2020 uh, in part because I believe Dozier had COVID, um, and, that, and that's going to be something interesting to keep an eye on. Is those guys who did have bad 2020 seasons who were you know confirmed or at least said they they went through COVID, kind of see what their bounce back will be like. Um, the only thing is, like, Dozier's on the older side. Uh, he's going to be 30, I believe, this season or next. So, you know, there's not a there's not a whole lot of peak left. But at the same time, it's it's pretty in line with the with what the Royals have been doing, which is just invest in a team that is probably not going to contend, barring something weird, but is also probably going to be, like, 
somewhere in that 78 to 82 win range, I would guess, if things go right. And I don't necessarily know that that's, you know, it certainly goes against what kind of the rest of the league has been doing rebuilding-wise, but I appreciate that Kansas City, you know, still wants to try to give some kind of quality product, at least to its fans. It still has some some attempt at contention, and their farm system is close enough, I think, that they probably feel like they don't have to go to a to the studs rebuild at the moment. So I, I think it makes sense. I think it's a, I think it's a good extension and certainly it's good money for Dozier who I don't think was, you know, barring a, a tremendous 2021 probably wasn't going to make that money anywhere else. No, probably not. Um, and Hey, we should always commend uh, these, these smaller markets for uh, investing in uh, their players and giving more money to players they drafted and developed. Um, Scott Casimir, old friend Scott Casimir, signed a minor league deal with the San Francisco Giants. Um, what do you make of this, John? Or uh, like, are you still just trying to wrap your head around Scott Casimir? And also, if you had to guess without looking, how old is Scott Casimir? I'm gonna guess he's 36. 36. Final answer. Yeah. Re- really, really close. 37, John. Oh, damn. All right. And you know what's funny? He just turned 37 on the 24th of January. Wow. Okay, so I was I was right there. You were right there. I would have guessed like 40. I swear Scott Casimir was uh, a member of the Tampa Bay Devil Rays in the late 90s. I, I'm 99% certain that he and Fred McGriff have played baseball together. That is how old I think Scott Casimir is. I mean, he has been around forever. The Victor Zambrano trade was 2005, Ooh. somewhere around there. Victor Zambrano, um, man, and that's the thing. Like, I think it's it's funny that I remember that I remember that trade distinctly because it was one of those first deals where I was, I think, old enough or old enough of a baseball fan and well versed enough in in kind of the new wave of statistical baseball to be like, that doesn't make any sense for the Mets. Why did they give up one of their? I mean, actually, you don't even need to be like well versed statistically to think that that was a disaster trade for the Mets. It was a disaster trade for the Mets, but it stands out as one of those really notable disaster trades the last like twenty or so years. Um. I mean, good for Casimir. That's the thing. That's great for Casimir. I'm I'm amazed he's back. He hasn't pitched since I believe 2018 uh, when he was with the Braves. You know, I, I'm stunned that there's still enough left in his arm at this point. I know he doesn't throw super hard. He's 92, 93, but you know that it's really good for him. I, I don't know that there's necessarily room for him on the in the Giants or on the Giants slash in the Giants rotation. You know, they've already got Kevin Gaussman, Johnny Cueto, Anthony DiSclefani, Alex Wood, Aaron Sanchez. Like, granted, I don't know if Aaron Sanchez is really the biggest obstacle. But, you know, they've got kind of a projected rotation now. But I, I'm, and I'm rooting for him. And if nothing else, he might be able to make that team as a kind of long reliever. Um, I'll, I, I love it. I, it's always nice to see a guy like that, you know, try again. But I, I'm always just a sucker for those stories, the, the, the old veteran trying to make a comeback like that. It's it's always fun, or at least it's fun when it's not like Felix Hernandez on the Orioles. So that's just depressing. I really am way too invested in the idea that um, Jeff Samarja should be the, the guy that the Braves take a flyer on in, in spring ball. He's still sitting out there and just have a great one year uh, in Atlanta um, on a cheap deal. Samarja is one of those guys who I really don't think has, like, I, I can understand why he's not signed because he's a guy who doesn't really have any upside left at this point. He's pretty much just kind of a, a similar to Rick Porcello, where it's like, well, if you need someone to throw some innings and you really don't care like how good or bad they are, there he is. 
But I think a lot of teams at this point, especially coming out of the pandemic and whatever, you know, financial damage that's done or is, is being exaggerated, are probably just going to be like, yeah, we'll just go with some rando out of AAA instead of paying, you know, Porcello or some margin of the what I mean, at this point, I, I imagine either or both would sign for for an NRI and a, a minor league contract with an invite to spring training. But yeah, those those are guys in particular. I just don't really see like what's it's almost like what what is the upside with those guys beyond just mediocre innings? You know, there, there doesn't seem to be another level left with any of them. Yeah. Well, let's let's hope so. Let's hope so. Um, the Braves extended Brian Snicker for another three years. Um, obviously the race have had a lot of success under Snicker over the last couple of years. Um, I, I still just don't really know what to say, like what to think about the, the value of managers in modern baseball. But then I think about what Dodd Manningly has done in Miami and I'm like, there has to be something there. Like what he did with that lack of talent last year, like he deserves some sort of credit for that. And it's like really hard to quantify. Um, was this deserved in your opinion? And also, where are you at right now in terms of managerial value in Major League Baseball in 2021? I'm fine with the Braves extending Snifker. I mean, you, you you watch him all the time, so you would know better than I do how he grades out as a manager. But he seems like a guy that, if nothing else, the players on that team like and respect and seems like they'd run through a brick wall for. So, I, I mean, I can't speak as to, to Snicker's tactical acumen. I really haven't seen much of him. I didn't get the sense that he made any glaring mistakes in the NLCS. Certainly nothing that stood out as, like, what on earth is he doing? Um, so I, I think he seems like a solid man. Like I said, and, and I think this gets into how I feel about uh, how I feel about the modern manager in today's game, which is that, for the most part, they're there not so much for their tactical acumen, because a lot of the decisions that a manager makes are, for the most part, being made, if not in advance, and at least game-planned out in advance, buy a front office with the manager so that when they get into those scenarios, it's not so much what's your gut feel. It's like, okay, we've, we've run through this before. You know, here's what the, here's what the metrics and the numbers say is best. You know, stuff like lineup construction, uh, platooning, roster construction, you know, when to run, like pitching change. All those things are, are increasingly falling into the hands of the front office per the numbers as opposed to just having the managers kind of grunt it out and be like, yeah, so I'll just figure this out on my own. Or at the very least, those managers are relying more and more on the numbers and metrics, or if not relying, at least consulting them more, so the decisions they make are more in line with what the front office is. There really aren't that many kind of older maverick uh, managers who kind of just do whatever they want. I think, like, Tony La Russa, I'm very interested to see what he does. He's kind of one of the last members of that breed, and he had to be brought out of retirement for it. I think the more important thing at this point with those managers is can they work with a, a, a room full of young men, you know, because the average major league baseball player is what, 25, 26, making a few million, maybe more dollars a year, um, has always been the best at the sport, no matter what level he played at until now. Like, there are a lot of, you know, competing personalities in that room, a lot of alpha types. Um, I mean, actually, it's kind of funny we say alpha because it doesn't really make sense. And that, that word is just kind of pointless in the, in the animal kingdom. Alpha is not really a thing. But regardless, it's a lot of it's a lot of personality management. It's a lot of media management. It's a lot of I mean, that's, I think that's why you've especially seen the run lately in the last few years of managers who are both young, or at least on the younger side, guys in their 40s and 50s, and who were uh, more recently former players because they I think the belief is that those guys can you know relate to the, the guys in the clubhouse a little better than some of the older kind of more old school managers who are just kind of more that field manager role. 
So I think especially there, kudos to Snicker, because I know he spent a long, long time coaching in the minors as a manager, that he's been able to adapt to that. And he, is, he, just, he doesn't strike me as that kind of my way or the highway old guy. He, def, he definitely does seem like someone who's adept at working with young guys, which makes sense because he was a minor league manager for a while, and someone who it seems like is very popular with his players. And I think that, that's kind of what you're aiming for with the manager is someone who the players like, because that's the most important thing is because that guy is going to be around them every single day for six straight months. They need to like him. They need to respect him. They need to do what he says. And I think that that's, you know, the way you get to that is less the, the kind of gruff field manager and more the kind of, you know, older, respected veteran, you know, guy who's been there and he's seen it and knows how to go through it uh, type thing. And I think Snicker probably fills that role pretty well. Yeah. I don't, it doesn't seem like anyone dislikes Brian Snicker. It would be weird to find someone who has a strong opinion, a negative opinion of Brian Snicker. Um, the Phillies are reportedly done spending on their roster. John, do you believe they've done enough to realistically compete in the NL East this year? No, I, I don't. I don't. I've never really liked this Phillies team for a bit. I mean, the the Harper Wheeler Real Muto, like the you know Nola, like okay, now we're in it. Like even that team would still felt a little flawed. I, I don't think the bullpen is fixed enough. Um, I think that they're still kind of just kind of gambling on whatever their weird amalgamation of kind of mediocre players in center field can provide them. I don't really love, I just don't really love what they've done beyond re-signing Real Muto. And this is a team with a farm system that's not really going to provide much help with the expense, with the exception of Spencer Howard. It's another thing. I don't really see this team with a lot of back of the rotation strength. I mean, it's, these are all things that aren't necessarily like season killers, but in a division they're in, you know, I, I just don't see how they have enough to get past a very good Braves team, a much improved Mets team, and a Nationals team that's not great, but is still, but is probably still a little bit better than the Phillies. Not to mention a Marlins team that is by no means a doormat. You know, I think it'll be interesting to see how this how the analytics this year plays out, especially with the Marlins. I don't think that's like a that doesn't strike me as like the equivalent of the Orioles in the kind of turbocharged AL East. But it's more like that's a team that is pro- it's almost certainly not going to make the playoffs, and it's probably going to be a below five hundred team but not because of any talent deficit necessarily, more just because it's a hard division. And I think the Marlins probably end up as more one of those like 75 win teams. It's, you know, not, not great, but not that bad. Uh, I think the, but I think the Phillies, it's just, there's just not enough full talent on that roster. And I think their biggest issue from last year with the bullpen, I think it remains a pretty, a pretty big issue that they just, for whatever reason, haven't really kind of focused on. I'm, I don't really get why, but you know, that's, that's the Phillies for you. They just seem to live to frustrate. John, I have some breaking news for you. Are you ready? Yes. The Rockies are said not to have the budget for any big signing at the moment, so barring some big change, there won't be an extension coming anytime soon for superstar shortstop Trevor Story. What a wonderful way to come up with an excuse for not re-signing Trevor Story. Because they definitely have the money. They're down payroll-wise like 25 or $30 million from last year. And they really don't have much committed to the future now that Nolan Arenado's contract is more or less off the books. So, I mean, on the one hand, good for Story. He should be free of that stupid, stupid franchise. But, man, that is a blatant lie on the part of the Rockies. They certainly have the money. You know, that that's not true. That's just not true at all. Yeah, probably not great, John. Not great. Um, the probably. last news thing that I want to touch on before we get into the Texas Rangers... Um, the Kyle Gibson-led Texas Rangers, mind you. 
um in-game video is returning this season um i was doing like a deep dive in the history of in-game video and just how crazy it was that we just had a situation where people were for decades just having to go to the back and uh go look at film in a really really annoying way and uh inefficient way but now ipads everything else like this is going to be a staple this year what do you make of in-game video analysis returning for mlb teams this year Sure. I mean, I, I feel like the way that they've got it now is that I think they're going to, you know, they're going to show video on a slight delay with catcher signals blurred out to prevent any future sign stealing, which not, I'm, I'm not really sure why that wasn't the case in the first place. It seems like it was probably pretty easy to do. Regardless, it, I got no problem with it. It seems like there are a number of hitters last year. J.D. Martinez is the one who leaps immediately to mind who seem to have trouble without it. Um, and, I mean, I know there are a million other things in the pandemic season you could theoretically point to to say that's an issue, that was an issue, that caused problems. But it certainly seems like there are a number of guys who just, you know, who are very, if not reliant on it, at least use it heavily in terms of being able to, um, you know, get ready, get prepared, study a pitcher. So I have to imagine there was probably a lot of noise from players and also from the union to have video return because so many players do find it useful, if not helpful. So, yeah, I'm, I, I got no problem with it whatsoever. It's just a matter of, you know, can they do it in a way that is uh, safe, quote-unquote. You know, can they do it in a way that, that keeps sign stealing from happening again? And I guess we will have to wait and see, but I get the sense that it's probably pretty uh, it's it's probably pretty easy to make that happen at this point. Yeah, I think so. Um, John, I shouldn't even ask you if you're ready to talk about the Texas Rangers because I imagine that you will never be in a situation where you're ready and jumping at the opportunity to talk about the Texas Rangers. But alas... This is a bad roster, man. Oh, boy. It is quite bad. Oh boy. And I was listening to Talking Baseball on my run. I think it was last week, and they were doing their preview series. And they were talking about the Rangers, and Trevor Plouffe, I think, has a um, a strong connection to Kyle Gibson and, like, Kyle Gibson... Uh, Minnesota twin legend Kyle Gibson thinks the Rangers have the tools to compete this year sneakily and I'm I I was like uh, no 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 they're not 0.0 percent uh uh, Orioles level but um they are they are not competing in the ALS this year I think we have to start there um so I guess we can go ahead and cross off my first question is there any hope for the Texas Rangers in 2021 <laughs> no, this is this is an awful this was an awful team last year that for the most part has not I mean I think certainly they haven't improved because I think the path for them to improvement was this is the weird thing post 2016 which is the last time the Rangers made the playoffs um they've been under 500 since and that particular team uh just to go back to it like part of the part of the problem was they just wasn't the core of that particular Rangers team which at the time was a 37-year-old Adrian Beltre, plus, you know, what looked like some good potentially young players in Nomar Mazzara, Rugnet Odor, Elvis Andrews is still under 30, uh, Jerkson Profar obviously coming off being uh, a former super number one prospect. Um, you know, they had some homegrown pitching like Martin Perez, Derek Holland. Uh, they, had, they had gotten you Darvish, like, the core of that team, though, was really if you if you want to go back and like, like you had Beltre and Darvish, and you had uh, the younger guys in Odor, Andrus, uh, Profar. I guess the other veterans would have 
Shin Suchu and Ian Desmond. But and I guess the other the main obviously the main young cor- the main young piece in that corp is Joey Gallo. And so I think the idea was okay. There's some veterans here. We like I imagine the thinking for John Daniels is Beltre's. You know we're losing Beltre soon. Uh, Prince Fielder's career ended up ending pretty soon after that. Uh, I forgot Mazzara had mentioned too. He's one of the younger guys for that court. You know we're losing them. Uh, Andrus isn't is on his way toward thirty. Ian Desmond is already thirty. Shinsuchu is past thirty. You know, but we have a young team. Or Cole Hamels is past thirty. Darvish is past thirty. But we have a good or was about to be thirty. We have a good we have a good core here. There are some young players. We just have to keep kind of replenishing them on the sides. And what would amount to basically a skinny rebuild, you know, without a teardown. Kind of just let's just keep signing veterans and trying to you know grow that young core. The problem they ran into was Odor has pretty much turned out to be nothing. Andrews, Andrews kind of seemed to peak in that 2016 season. He's been declining ever since. Now he's not even there. He got traded for um, traded the A's for Chris Davis. Beltre obviously retired. Mazzara went backwards. Um, all their young pitching really did not progress. You know, Perez has kind of turned into a league average guy. Colby Lewis, Derek Holland, AJ Griffin. None of those guys really. Well, I guess Colby Lewis wasn't young, but Holland, Griffin. Um, you know, their farm system really stopped producing is the other thing. And you look back at their draft ever since 2016, they still have yet to produce a major league player worth more than a win above replacement out of all those drafts combined. You know, I mean, I think if you want to point to one of the major failures and one of the major reasons why the Rangers are where they are, it's been the complete collapse of their farm system, at least in terms of the draft. You know, I can't speak too much of their international signings because I'm not as well versed on, you know, obviously like what those guys have done because, you know, it's much harder to, honestly, much harder to find those stats. But regardless, like when you're getting zeros out of your draft year after year, that's a serious, serious problem. If you're not going to be a major player in free agency and the Rangers are not major players in free agency and really haven't been for quite some time. It's funny though, because they have, you know, they've executed those good strategies with the veteran pitchers they've gotten in Mike Miner. Obviously, Lance Lynn was a total shock, I think, in the way he performed. Um, certainly, Hamels performed well, Darvish. I mean, but that's the other part of it is when they moved those guys, they didn't get, like, they traded Darvish, and the best piece back was Willie Calhoun, and he really has just turned out to be kind of a positionless tweener who can't stay healthy. You know, none, none of the pieces of the core they've moved have really helped them. And again, a lot of the guys who were young parts of the course stalled out. Adur, Mazzara, um, to a certain degree, even Gallo. I think Gallo is at a point where it's you're, you're kind of staring at him like, okay, he can hit a ball three miles, but he hits 215 every season because he just can't make contact. What are you going to do with Joey Gallo? You know, that, there's only so much you can do power-wise before that kind of inability to make contact sinks you. And I think the other problem, too, is that Texas just hasn't really – made the right like, I, they, they they just seem, seem kind of stuck on the guys they have you don't really see this team getting aggressive in free agency to make make things different you don't see them really getting aggressive on the trade market to make things different they only seem to make trades when they're just when they're basically decided okay this guy's not as worth as much to us anymore as he would be let's move him and again it does hurt when the one kind of big trade they've made in that span of time at least in selling a guy has been darvish and the return just has not panned out so no, there's no real hope for this team this year. I think they probably understand that, that this is probably closer to a regular rebuilding year. But I think the question now becomes, okay, how do you rebuild this team? Because at a certain point, it needs to be, you know, if it's going to be like everybody else, it's like, okay, we need to get young players. We need to do better in the draft. We need to do better with international signings. We need to get younger. 
I haven't seen that happen yet. Obviously, they've gotten some good prospects. Like their their number one pick in 2019, Josh Young, is is you know one of the better prospects in baseball. But I, I think that's really the issue for the Rangers now. Is like, where is the next young group of talent for this franchise? And it's not really pleasant. It's pleasant. It's not really present uh, right now, I should say, because of the you know of the guys who were kind of contributors to last year's Rangers team who are on the younger side. You can't really count on Odor for anything anymore. Um, I guess Leody Tavares, maybe Calhoun if he finally gets a shot. I think you, you you have to just be patient with Gallo and see what's there. Um, but it's not really a good sign. One of your best under thirty players is a utility guy, Nick Solak. That's not great. That's not really where. Who also was really bad last year. Yeah, that's the other part of it. Is like Solak has got a, a good track record and is a good young player, but he really was just not much last year. His his biggest. I mean, I think you're probably looking for him to become kind of like the, the poor man's Brandon Lau. But regardless, like, this is just a team that is just like Ronald Guzman, another guy, just to kind of point to their, their track record of failed player development. Like, they've just struck out swinging on so many different uh, kind of young players and attempts at player development that I don't really, I almost start to wonder if the problem is just the front office at this point. If Which is John weird. He's a, two-time, he's a two time uh, executive of the year. He is the. I think he's still the youngest GM in MLB history, right? When he got the job at twenty-eight. I, be- I believe so. If not him, then it was one of Dad Levine or Derek Falvey. But it's it, it's it probably still is Daniels because he was. I don't think he was even thirty when he got that job. No, he was twenty-eight. Um, okay, that yeah. doesn't make me feel old. <laughs> That's what's crazy is he's just been there for so long, and it's now been five years since they were repeating as AL West champions, and. He's he's one of he's he's different where it's like he's one but like his Cornell classmate AJ Preller um when he goes to those swoons he rebuilds the farm system and like he has youth on his side and he has a track record where now he builds it up and he understands like when to cash in your chips and when not and now they have a contender and it looks like they'll have a contender for years and years the Rangers haven't done that Daniels hasn't operated the same as his uh friend Preller and I I don't know, like, is it possible that just, like, Daniels just needs to do what Preller did these last three years? But also, just, like, is Daniels still at this age? Because I think he's 43 now. I think he's been there for 15 years. That, like, I mean, I guess hiring a new GM, um, because he had both roles, I want to say, before this, um, is a sign that, like, he needs to have a less hands-on approach. But then you're like this guy who was just a really good GM and a GM that we all just highly regarded as like he knew what he was doing for years and years dating back to when he trade traded Alfonso Soriano is like his first major move um I don't know I just I go back and forth on it because I'm like he was a good GM for a long he kind of reminds me of Thomas Dimitrov in Atlanta for the Falcons where it's like Dimitrov really hit on his early picks um but he struggled in free agency he he whiffed on the the pass rushers he whiffed on offensive line signings he whiffed on the the edges where you can't whiff and then when injuries happen you're lean i think daniels is kind of in that same vein where it's like he's shown that he can put together a world series type team but also like this rebuild has completely fallen apart when it goes like this then you have to point the fingers at somebody and the skinny rebuild was a bad decision and now i don't see a path um, to the Rangers really getting out of this unless they start spending a bunch of money because they have a new amazing looking stadium and uh, maybe that's enough but I, I just I don't really know how the Rangers get out of this without just uh, several more years of pain 
Yeah, and that's kind of the thing. It's like there are two paths out. One is you you really re, you really invest in free agency and you sign the best players you can, and you just kind of paper over the fact that you don't really have either the farm system or the roster depth to be kind of a Padres-esque team because the, the Rangers have neither of those. Or you invest in creating that farm system and that roster depth. I imagine the path would be kind of similar to what the Giants have done under Farhan Zaidi, which is just you kind of jettison your expensive veterans, you trade. You know, you kind of, especially you act as a space to pick up contracts, which I think is probably one of the smarter things that some rebuilding teams do is say, I'll take on your big veteran contract, but you also have to send me a good prospect in exchange. Mm-hmm. So you basically just act as a, as a money laundering system for, for bigger teams or for teams that have, that have signed regrettable long-term deals. Um, and you just, you just churn through players on the waiver wire. You try to dig up the Mike Yastrzemski's of the world. You take your shots on guys who at least have one or two things that they do very, very well, even if nothing else works, and try to build a team that way while also reinvesting in, you know, maybe, and maybe it's, maybe it's something about, you know, changing up your scouting, your farm system, your player development. Maybe there's something wrong there. Maybe you're, I mean, since neither of us know the inner workings of the Texas Rangers, we can't say for sure if this is simply like, oh, they don't invest enough in research and development, or, oh, their scouts simply just aren't, you know, right. in, a, in tune with what's, you know, with what works or whatever. But you certainly get the sense that without a farm system and with a kind of a limited amount of roster depth, that this team, you're right, this team doesn't really have too many paths forward. And I think, you know, you do have to make that choice of, okay, we're either going to spend our way through this dry patch, you know, in the hopes that on the other side, you know, we can, be, we can attend for a little bit, and by the time we get to the other side, maybe some younger players will develop, or you got to go hard in on the on the young player side of things and tank, and because once a skinny rebuild has failed, you can't really just keep it going. That doesn't really work. You know, you you you're not gonna get pretty much anywhere unless the rest of your division stops trying. And or you hire Dave Dombrowski. What? <laughs> Luckily for the Rangers, the Mariners and Athletics are no longer trying, mm-hmm. but you still got the Astros in front of you and you still got the Angels. And yeah, I think like, yeah, this is, I think the Phillies, you know, to bring up the team we just talked about, I think the Phillies are in kind of a similar situation. Not the same as the Rangers because obviously they spent on Harper and Realmuto and Wheeler and all them. Yeah. But in a similar situation where a farm system that doesn't really have any help for them and that they don't really have that kind of deep roster depth that you with teams like Tampa Bay or Los Angeles or San Diego. And so you just kind of have to spend your way through the problem. Um, I just don't really see that being Texas's route because that's not been their route for quite some time. And you're, I mean, you're right. They have a big new stadium. They should be able to finance whatever they feel like. But I, I don't get the sense that the Rangers are going to dive all into the, okay, well, let's just spend our way out of this. I think, I mean, I don't know, because we, we had the, the thing that we didn't really see any sign this offseason as to which direction the Rangers are really going to go, because they didn't really, they haven't really done anything. Like you said, they signed Kyle Gibson, but in the, or they signed Kyle Gibson last year, but I think the only thing we've really seen them do is they traded Lance Lynn, and you could argue that the That's same way good they did haul, with though. Mike Miner, they got a good haul, but you could argue that the same way with they kind of um, missed on their window with Mike Miner, that they arguably could have gotten more or better for Lynn if they'd moved him when it was very clear that this team was going nowhere. Yeah. Um, I think... I well, mean, that's like one of the weirdest maybe... elements of the Rangers, right? Is their weird situation now where they just rehabilitate these guys like Miner and Lynn and then they're not selling high on him. They're just like, let's just let these guys be really good for us and then okay, but like luckily they got something for Lance Lynn. But it is strange that they're able to develop a rehab these often injured 
past their prime starting pitchers, and um, I don't know why this is a thing. Have you ever figured out like why the Rangers are able to do this as of late? Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. No, I can't say that. I mean, there's nothing immediately obvious, and I've never talked to anyone in the Rangers' front office as to kind of what their secret sauce is for that. I'm not sure they even they would even say. It is interesting, though, that they hit on Minor, they hit on Lynn. Um, I, Gibson, has been, Gibson has been fine. Certainly they haven't turned him into what Minor and Lynn were. Did you know he's but, their oldest player, I think? Gibson? Yeah. I wouldn't sure. be surprised. I mean, he's 33 now, so... Which is you know, crazy. Don't you remember being on message boards and, like, reading about Kyle Gibson, the prospect, and that doesn't feel nearly that long ago? Being like, oh, Gibson might still be a thing. Yeah, it is kind of weird when you mention that. Like, it does feel like Kyle Gibson is one of those guys who's been around forever, and mostly because he has been around forever. Um, but I think... He, yeah, he might actually be the oldest guy on this team because Shin Tsuchu is retired, Todd Frazier is gone, I believe Jeff Mathis is with the Phillies now, Robinson Chirinos is gone, has been gone, I think. Um, it just depends. I think there maybe you know maybe there's some relievers in their system who might be a little older or that they picked up, but like, yeah, it's it's just, it's a young team now, and I think they've embraced it. The problem is that their young players haven't produced. So it's like, okay, what do you do about that? Especially when you consider how bad your efforts at drafting and development have been. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, so, is there anyone on this roster right now, the opening day roster? When you look at the one through nine, or in the starting rotation, or in the bullpen, is there any young player that you're excited about that you think actually might go the opposite way and might be fun for Rangers fans at this new beautiful ballpark? I mean, Joey Gallo is always fun, even if he's struggling. He's I don't want to use Joey Gallo. Um, like he's just, he's kind of okay. Joey Gallo does. I, I feel like that's a cop out. We can't use Joey Gallo. Okay, fine. Um. Leody Tavares can pick it in center. He's a good defensive center fielder. At least he's always had that reputation in the minor league. So that should be a guy who's probably at least fun to watch in defensive and maybe kind of a poor man's Jackie Bradley Jr. Um, other than that, if Jose Leclerc can get healthy, that's cool. I'm excited to see what Dunning does. Uh, the guy they brought out of Japan, Kohei Arihara, I'm always happy to see. You know, I'm always excited to see what you know the latest Japanese import does. Um, if Calhoun can get consistent playing time, he certainly still has the bat to, to make an impact. I think David Dahl's second stage, um, and I think that's kind of the thing. You look at what the Rangers have done this offseason. It is just a, it, I think it is more in that Giants vein of just kind of taking gambles. You know, it's okay. Let's let's try Isaiah Kiner Falefa at shortstop. Let's give Joey. Let's give Willie Calhoun regular playing time. Let's give David Dahl a second chance. Let's pluck Nate Lowe away from the away from the Rays because we don't really have a first baseman within the system, and he's cheap. Let's you know. Let's try. Let's, let's try this Japanese guy in Arahara. Let's give Mike Fultonavitz a, a rehabilitation opportunity. You know, on and on and on and on. And like I said before, it's not going to work in terms of like results in 2021. This is not a team that's going to contend in 2021. But I think they are kind of following, or at least seemingly based on the offseason they've had, trying to follow that Giants path of, well, we might as well just see what's out there kind of available on the cheap slash, you know, that other teams don't want or that, you know, maybe we can make something out of. The result is, but the end result is you don't really get a lot of, like, the young players who I'm kind of interested in 
are not necessarily guys where it's like their top prospects where you're you know now excited to see what they can do. It's more guys like Dahl and Calhoun and I, Dunning's not fair. It's not really fair to call him that, but like more like Dahl and Calhoun where they're kind of like prospects who lost who lost a lot of helium, and now you're kind of interested to see whether or not there's anything left there. Because if there is, like, these are guys who had really high ceilings at one point, but, you know, a million different things got in the way. Uh, Sam Huff would be another guy I'm, I'm interested in as a young catcher. But, you know, th- there's not a lot of depth here where you're really like, oh, this is, you know, this is, a, this is an exciting young guy who's, who's going to light up the stat lines. Until Josh Young or maybe Shirt and Apostle makes this team, I don't really think you're going to see that. Um you know, especially because a lot of their better, a lot of their better young pitching is pretty far down in the system too. It's guys like Cole Wynn or Hans Kraus or, you know, who are probably going to start the year in Double A if that's where they start the year, and who are probably at least another season or two away. All right, we'll we'll leave it there on the for sure last place Texas Rangers, John. Yeah, I don't think I don't think there's really any debate on that one. Like, there's. I, I think the only way you get another last place team is if Seattle just turns out to be worse than we thought and then just spends the whole season tanking outright. But even then, I think Texas is still a worse team overall. I would agree. Um, John, let's, uh, what, let's move to the NL next week. Where do you, where do you want to start? The All NL right. East? The NL Central? Yeah, let's, 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 let's turn this into the Chase Yells About the Braves 45-minute <laughs> spectacular where I don't even have to answer questions. You're just going to be yelling about how much you hate Nick Markakis, who isn't even on the team anymore. Allegedly. You're going to yell about him anyway. You'll give them grudging credit for Marcelo Zuna. Mm-hmm. But then I, I guarantee whatever the weakest point on the Braves is, you'll, you're, you're going to yell about that. Okay. I presume it's the back of the rotation yes. or third base. Mm-hmm. The uh, existence of Kyle Wright. Uh, the Braves will be nice because I won't have to do any. I don't have to do any work. You, okay. you can just do all the yelling for me, and I can mm-hmm. just chime in every now and then to say, "Hey, you do remember that they won the division last year and almost won the NLCS, right?" Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'm a, I, I will prepare accordingly, John. I will save my voice. I will. Okay. T- I will ice it the night well, before. I know. Be ready. I know we're going to have a ten minute detour at some point when the NLCS does come up. Mm-hmm. And then, because I, I, this is something I'd be curious to know about, and we can obviously talk about it next week. Is it more frustrating that the Braves lost the NLCS without any one particular crushing, like, like moment you can point to and be like, "That's where it all went to hell"? Like, is it worse to have them lo- have the, to have them have lost it in kind of a slow deflation, or would it have been better if they lost it because of some one thing where you're just like, "Ah, shit, that happened." Well, that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas <laughs> podcast. Uh, John, we will leave it there. John Taylor, we can follow you on Twitter at J.A. Taylor. You can follow myself at Chase double underscore Thomas and go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com if you have not already. Unfortunately, the sound broke up at that last um, question from John Taylor. So unfortunately, I will not be able to answer said question. John, thank you as always, my friend. And uh, we will talk next week. Braves time, baby. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. 
legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history, relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.